Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride. As always, this week is TJ2. The Deuce. Good one. That was a good one. Good, good one. one. Good one. And our storyteller this week, Mr. Will the Thrill Hickey. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, especially my fellow sons and daughters of the state of New Jersey. We cover one of our own this series. Yeah. Very, very happy to to do that. Not that she's gone, because that's a tragedy in and of itself, but um, this is a this subject was a long time coming. I think it's gonna be very interesting. So before we actually get to Whitney, we do have to cover one sad loss in the music community this week. Uh, For two children of the 80s and one of the 70s, we lost a mascot, and that was... Hold on. Who's a child of the 70s? You are. How am I a child? I was five when it turned 1980. (laughs) (laughs) A child of the 70s. Yeah, I would argue he's still a child of the 80s. Whatever. I'm a child of the 80s, yes. I'm four years older than you. Let's not begin ridiculous. You're five years older than me, you butt. Four years and some change. But whatever. But the musical brain were not formed by that point. But it was. Mm-hmm. But we lost Tawny Katang. Tawny, oh. Tawny, oh. If you uh, if you grew up when we did watching MTV in the seventies, <laughs> right when MTV didn't exist and I was <laughs> um, then, um, a dream of MTV. But that that is an indelible image of the 1980s. If you were raised on MTV, Tony Katane doing a split on the hood of that car, and she was uh, romantically linked to David Coverdale. Is that right? I think they were married for a while. She put a a high heel through what Jose Canseco's leg. Well, she married a ball player. Yeah, I know that. Was it Uh, Finley? Was Chuck Finley or somebody? Yeah, Chuck Finley. Chuck Finley. Yeah, she put she put a, a high heel through his leg. Oh, wow. But if you grew up in the 80s watching MTV, especially if you're a young man at the time, as Will the Thrill and I would have been, that is uh, not a thing you forget. No, Tony no. Katane. In, in, and because people, you, everybody remembers her from that video. She was in several White Snake videos. And if you remember, she was the cover girl for both Rat albums. What was it? Um, Out of the Cellar? Yeah. Invasion of Privacy. Is that right? Indeed she was. She was, yeah, the cover, the cover girl for that. So yes, I, I have very uh, fond memories of Miss Katayman. Yes, I, I haven't actually seen what the cause of death or anything was, but she's very young. She's only fifty nine. So. Yeah, she, I was gonna say not even sixty. That's yeah, this day and age. So that was tough. And there actually was one other loss. Went it kind of went mostly unnoticed because the person had been out of the spotlight for very long. But I think the day we recorded our last episode. Lloyd Price passed away on that um, day. Early, I, I think, when, the, when last we gathered to record the, the last part of our, our Rick James series, I think Lloyd Price passed away later that day or at some point that day. It's, so it's been a little over a week, about a week now as we record this. But early rock pioneer, R and B rock 
uh, pioneer of the 1950s, had 20 some odd top 40 hits. I think Laudy Miss Claudie was one of his real big ones that I think the Beatles and Elvis both ended up cutting. And of course, he was the singer of Stagger Lee. Oh, oh he passed away. If you huh? grew up, if you grew up being forced marched through uh, shag lessons, like I think LD and I both were, our state dance, then you <laughs> have danced to Stagger Lee, I promise. Yes, you have. Go Stagger Lee. Go Stanley. In New Jersey, our state dance is being able to hold a Jaeger bomb and still kind of shift your shoulders to a rhythm. <laughs> Which comes in hand, perhaps comes in more handy than shagging. Uh, well, necessity is the mother of invention, is it not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So we go into, like I said, uh, from someone from my home state, the great Whitney Houston. This is one that's going to be it, it, where your editing skills are going to really come in handy and have to be necessary because what what a what a full life, what a talent, what a phenomenon she was. Yeah. Um, she was, she was, it's probably not an exaggeration. She was an enormous, she had enormous crossover appeal, appeal to pretty much everybody. And she was kind of America's sweetheart in about 1986 or 1987. Oh, bulletproof. Absolutely. Bulletproof, yeah. Actually, funny enough, mom would let me watch Whitney Houston videos on MTV, so well, yeah. they were very wholesome. They were very sure. yeah. But like, what a what a what a voice! And if you you think about if if a person came along now who just looked like her and sang like me, somebody would still make her a star. She was she was a, a beautiful. She was beautiful. Oh, yeah. But but she had that plus plus real talent. Yeah, and we'll also get into the musical pedigree that she's from. And I mean, just if you look at the people around her, it's going to be. Almost very much like the Rick James episode in two regards. One, the fact that she was just connected to so many people. I mean, the names are going to be all over the map on this one. Also, here's right. the thing for me about Whitney Houston. She's the only person that can take a song from our patron saint, Dolly, and do it justice. And I won't break stuff every time I hear it. Which, which for the record, when we get to that song, I am not going to do the which is better. Because I feel like you're picking between two premium items. Yes. four different sure. things but we will discuss when that comes that that also that that almost became different things really oh yeah they're almost not the same song anymore absolutely that well, that that's very much one of those songs like um uh, kick back to our eddie van halen episode like van halen's version of you're no good yeah. it bears no resemblance to the linda ronstadt version of the song it's it's some it's it's a different thing by the time they're done with it. they don't, don't really change it absolutely. but you listen to that and you get a totally different vibe it doesn't mean the same thing Okay, well, the, the thing is, is that, like, we'll get to it when we, when mm -hmm. we get to it, but I will just say this, is, like, the intent behind them is, is wholly different, because when Dolly wrote it, he was writing it for Porter Wagner in appreciation, not in a romantic kind of gesture. Like a love love. Sure. Yeah, whereas Whitney, Whitney took it, and she made it into a love song. So I say, you know, the intent behind the two is completely different, which wholly changes the the song and both so. of you both of you will learn that it almost didn't happen that song was almost not used in the bodyguard soundtrack did you know that really oh yeah but we'll get to that we got we got a ways to go uh i realized when i was doing this episode two things D do you realize that this is another time where sadly we will be covering a musician who did not live to see 50 are you serious oh yeah two examples just from my own research we did adam yauk was 47 mm -hmm. adam schlesinger who was i think about the same age mm -hmm. and now whitney who passed away she's about 48 or 49 why don't you pick an old person next time i i don't know <laughs> or someone that's not named adam right yeah my, my catalog <laughs> of adams is getting a bit big 
Uh, I realized also this is the second time I will be covering a New Jerseyan who went with the moniker of The Voice. That's funny. Yep, Frank Sinatra was, of course, The Voice, mm-hmm. and Whitney Houston was The Voice. And as TJ, you mentioned earlier, oh, oh, that voice. I, the best way I can describe it is it's one that just goes through you. Uh, her voice was not just one you heard and said, oh, that's really good. You stopped in your tracks and you were just floored. She had a unique blend of both purity and power, which is not very common. I mean, she could hit those clean high notes and she could just, again, belt on a level just unheard of. It was it was amazing. And that's where I remembered the words of a finance guru I follow. He's a New York Times bestseller named Ramit Sethi. And one of his columns covers what he calls real problems versus fake problems, in which someone will say, oh, you know, I have this. And you'll say, well, your real problem is X, Y, and Z. And it's usually rooted in some type of financial advice. Someone wrote in, there is too much Whitney Houston on the radio. And Robert responded with, this is not a problem. Just, that was it. He didn't even. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, took a 178-year-old song <laughs> and made it a hit. Yeah. Well, I do want to share some stuff. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there oh. probably a ways down the, down the road. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there. Um, the category of heavy hitters. Now, we know that Houston transcended genres. She was an actress. She was a singer. She was a model. Uh, let me just throw a few stats by you that are probably going to blow your mind. Whitney Houston has won six Grammy Awards, 16 exactly. Billboard Music Awards, 22 American Music Awards, which, by the way, gives her the record of any female artist. She holds the record. Wow. But her, Beyonce hasn't even beaten her yet. Huh? Not, not yet. Not yet. Whitney is still number one. Her eponymous first album is one of the best-selling debut albums of all time. And as an artist, she has sold over 200 million albums worldwide. Yeah, big deal. So have I. Oh. Okay, then we'll <laughs> move on. So has, right, so, so has uh, Zam Fear, Master of the Pamphlet. I mean, <laughs> in fact, just two years before she passed in 2010, Whitney had been, Whitney held over what is calculated to be 400 awards and nominations related to her career. How do you even have a room for that? I don't even know. I think you actually have to just have a house. It, yeah. Like, where, where's your trophy room? I don't have one. I have a trophy house, and it's this a is my house. house. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I and keep. It, right. And it's not. And it's not like a single wide trailer. Like it's a really big house. It's bigger than the house you live in. I promise. Right. <laughs> and it's just awards. This is the Grammy room. This is the Tony room. This yeah. is the Oscar room. It's wings, actually. Here's the Clio yeah. Awards. Right. It's yeah. a broom the closet. The in fact, at her funeral, I don't know if any of you have seen this, Kevin Costner delivers a very touching eulogy, and he actually says this, and this is just shortly after her passing in 2012. He said, as the debate heats up about the greatest singers of our last century, as this list is drawn, it will have little meaning to me if her name is not on it. Aww. That was from Kevin Costner. His eulogy is, is great, by the way. You should check it out. And I think the problem with Whitney, and we're going to talk about this because this is, as LD puts it, warts and all podcast, is most people remember the second half of her life, which includes, yes, the infamous crack is whack on the Diane Sawyer interview. We all remember that. And that soundbite, which I'm not going to play from the Being Bobby Brown reality show. You all know what it is. No, we don't. Where Whitney Houston turns the camera and says, kiss my ass uh but for now in fair east orange is where we set our scene ladies and gentlemen 
We're going to talk about the lives of one of the greatest vocalists of all time. She was the voice, she was a talent, and like I said, a daughter of the state of New Jersey, Whitney Elizabeth Houston. Born August 9th, 1963, Whitney was born into a stable middle-class household in Newark, New Jersey. Now, Newark does get a, uh, a bad rap. In fact, LD, remember when we got uh, stuck there that yes. holiday? Yes. We ended up staying a layover in Newark. It's not known for being one of the vacation destinations, I would say. It's come up a lot. I know that the New Jersey uh, Performing Arts Center is there, and they've built up the area around it. However, at the time Whitney lived there, there were there was a lot of racial tension. In fact, the infamous long, hot summer of 67, which we'll get to in a little bit, is about to erupt in Newark, which is about... When, I'll tell you about it, five days of riots where I think 26 people were killed. And, yeah, it was, it was actually on the heels of the Watts riots oh, okay. in California. Yep. So the house Whitney was born in, two things mattered, faith and music. Now, I don't know what you already know about Whitney's family, but as I mentioned earlier, the musical pedigree here is undeniable. We start with her father, John Russell Houston Jr. Now, John enjoyed singing, but he never was a professional singer. In fact, he enlisted in the army went on to work as a cab driver, where allegedly he met Whitney's mother, and he worked for the city of Newark as a city administrator. Uh, John would, as many know, manage artist's career, namely his wife and his daughter. He managed Sissy's career in her group, The Sweet Inspirations, which we'll talk about in a minute, and had a very direct hand in Whitney's career with the company Nip, Nippy Inc., Nip Inc., which was her nickname, Nippy. Aww, We're going to get into that. Uh, so let's focus on Whitney's mother. Emily Sissy Houston, which is a name a lot of people actually know beyond Whitney. If the name Houston was not recognizable enough, perhaps her maiden name will elaborate a little bit more on her singing career. Because Emily Sissy Houston was born Drinkard to the Drinkards of Blakely, Georgia. Her parents were Nicholas and Delia, who had, including Sissy, eight children. And as wow. I mentioned, they were, yep eight children. They were from Georgia, and they were landowners. Now, consider for a moment the landscape at this time. There's a few things going on. This is the start of the Jim Crow era. Remember, we did the episode on that. Mm -hmm. So you had well-off landowners who happened to be Black in the rural South. Two problems with this. One, the wealthy white landowners didn't want anything to do with them, and their African-American contemporaries also didn't want anything to do with them. So, so, so this this actually is almost a throwback to our Robert Johnson episode because yeah. that was a deal with his um, gosh his mother and the person he thought was his father. No need to try to dredge all 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 that wackiness back up, but <laughs> same, it was same deal. They were actually chased out of was it Arkansas or Mississippi? Mississippi, I think. Yeah, to I think Tennessee because for the very reason that you're speaking of. Yeah. And this was quite common from about 1916 all the way up to 1970. A lot of Black Americans took their families and moved out of that area. And they went to places like Chicago, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., New York. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. That's very interesting you say that. Yeah. I'm a journalist in South Carolina, as people who listen to the show know by now. The county I work in had, like most every place, had a, quote, white and a, quote, Black high school until the late, and actually in Chester, Chester, South Carolina's case, until about 1970 or 71. Oh, wow. They were going to close the, the black high school, which was Finley. But they said if you had started at Finley, you could finish there. Okay. So for that full integration did not come until about 1970 or 71. But I've talked to graduates of Finley, and they said that literally 
graduation would happen at Finley on like a Friday. Saturday morning, you would see like a lengthy line of African-Americans at the train station leaving, leaving to go to Boston, Baltimore, Chicago. One of the biggest Finley alumni chapters is in New York City. No kidding. Yeah. So, but so that, but that kind of illustrates what you're talking about, that that's, that's kind of how things were then. Yeah. And that was the landscape again for that chunk of time. And, you know, Whitney's family was no different. Sissy's parents picked up and moved. They went to Newark and Sissy was eventually born there in 1933. She sang professionally, get this, starting at age five. Uh Yeah. Sissy was actually a singer for, maybe this is the name you know, The Drinkard Four. This was a lineup that was Sissy's sister Anne, her brothers, and they formed a quartet. And eventually they brought in other members, including Sissy and folks from their church, which was the New Hope Baptist Church in Newark, and it was renamed the Drinkard Sisters. So I would like to share a clip from them. Now, it's very hard to pinpoint the time frame of these recordings. They are clearly taken from somewhere and moved somewhere else. So if you do find it, there are several on YouTube you can look up. I just highlighted one of the songs because gospel was huge for Whitney's family. So I thought it best to focus on one of the songs by the Drinkard Singers. This is My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Right. 
so they, they know how to sing yeah. they know how to they, they, they know how to do gospel music oh god that was so yeah good. i was gonna say that's now what's what's the actual name of the, the group at this point the drinkard singers because they were the, the drinkard singers the drinkard singers could sing yeah, it, let it, me yeah. tell you wow that is not just a clever name i was gonna say but sadly tragedy would strike Sissy's mother actually had a stroke and suffered from the complications for several years before passing away in 1941. Within the next 10 years, her father passed away due to stomach cancer. So she's ostensibly at age 16, an orphan. She moves in with her older sister, Anne, around 1951-1952. Now, Anne was married to a gentleman named Mansell Warwick. And I think you may know where hey. this is going. Hmm. Hey, yeah. Anne and Mansell had three children. Mansell Jr., Maria Dion, who we best know as Dion, and of course, Delia, a.k.a. Dee Dee Warwick. Yep. So let's talk about Dion Warwick. I, I think she needs no introduction, but I have a feeling there's a contingent of people out there who know her just as the Psychic Friends Network, <laughs> which is a sadly small piece of who she is. Dionne Warwick has been in the music business since the mid-50s. Mm. And the people she's worked with have ranged from Elvis Presley to Burt Baccarat. I mean, some of the songs are I Say a Little Prayer, Walk On By, That's What Friends Are For, Alfie. I mean, her catalog is just insane. Miss Warwick has won five Grammys and numerous Lifetime Achievement Awards. Now, to be a subject of our podcast, you have to meet one rather strict criteria. Unfortunately, Dion has not met that. She is still with us and still working in the music industry at the age of 80. Okay, let's just say, yeah. he, he you didn't say, and unfortunately, you said, and fortunately. And fortunately. Okay, yes. so I need to go back? Oh. <laughs> well, you said- It sounded like you said, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Unfortunately, she's not dead No, yet. no, 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 no. Fortunately, she's still here. <laughs> Fortunately, she cannot be a subject of our podcast. Okay. Uh, we yeah. don't want it. her to be yes, a no, keep going, no, she's, a na- she's in national treasure territory. Yes. 80 years old, still working. Amazing. Her sister, Dee Dee, sadly could be a subject of our show here. Uh, Dee Dee was another decorated musician. She had songs like Cold Night in Georgia, Suspicious Minds, I'm Gonna Make You Love Me, which she did with Diana Ross and the Supremes. Such a good song. Yeah, You're No Good. I mean, the catalog, again, is absolutely outrageous. And Dee Dee was also celebrated for being one of the earliest openly gay performers in that industry. Really? Yeah, openly gay. Yeah. Wow. Oh wow! I didn't. I, I, I yeah. was too. I, 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 I was not aware of that. That yeah. is awesome. Yep. And as thank a, you, Trailblazer. Yep. That and, is, oh, that's cool. And as a result, she obviously has you know garnered numerous awards and admiration, and in the music industry and the gay community. Uh, unfortunately, we did lose her in 2008. Dee Dee did struggle with substance addiction for the majority of her life, and she passed away in Essex, New Jersey at the age of 65. So, fortunately, we lost her. Yeah. Now, jumping back to Sissy, she was 16 years old when she organized the Young Adult Choir at the New Hope Baptist Church, <laughs> which, by the way, is still there. And every year, to this day, Sissy still coordinates the annual Gospel Fest at the church. That's awesome. Yep, in Newark. Sissy married a gentleman. Now, TJ, you may know where this is going. His name was Freddie Garland in 1955, and they had one child, Gary Garland. Mm. He was drafted by the Nuggets, played for a few years. Oh, oh see, I, I was in the musical vein there. Okay, oh, no, sorry. No, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, did not, did not know that. Yep, so he is the child of Sissy, then drinker, married, now Garland. 
but the marriage didn't last and actually sissy would separate from her husband before gary was born so they split in 1958 she meets john and there is a bit of a controversy here because at the time john was still married he was a cab driver and allegedly they met on a route there uh the romance that ensued was quite uh quite fast-paced. In fact, Sissy became pregnant with their first child, Michael, who was born in 1961. John's marriage to his first wife would not be officially dissolved until 1963, after Whitney was born. Oh, wow. Yeah. Scandal. Yes, a bit of a scandal. Um, So was there like an actual shotgun at their wedding? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I don't know. Several guns. But needless to say, they married. And Dion's career with Burt Baccarat was really taking off in the 60s. And Sissy was actually working with Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks doing, you know, backup music. Can I just say Burt Baccarat is still going now. Yeah. And actually, we have a friend who is his violin player. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, I just, I wonder what would be the odds that we in back-to-back series would make reference to Ronnie Hawkins? I know, right? <laughs> because because he was playing in Toronto when Rick James lived there, and I want to yep. say a couple of members of the band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and- Le- Levon Helm and Garth Hudson, I think, played with him for a little while. Yeah, same time frame. Yeah, so that that that's an odd recurring character in this uh, <laughs> in this little this little program we do. I know. Yeah, we do have some common three themes that tick, tie over week to week. So, so Sissy would eventually form a new group called the Sweet Inspiration. So this was formed actually just around the time Whitney was born, maybe just a hair earlier. And their premier album was released in 1968 entitled The Sweet Inspirations on Atlantic Records. So who did they sing for? Well, here is quite a list. Some of them, actually, we have not covered these people on our podcast. I've been surprised. But some of the notable names are Wilson Pickett, Brooks Benton, Bette Midler. Not dead. Not dead. Connie Francis, Seals and Croft, Neil Diamond, Paul Simon. Not dead. Buddy Rich, Luther Vandross. Carly Simon, uh, Leslie Uggams, Elvis Presley, and of course the Queen of Soul. Maybe, maybe dead, maybe not. <laughs> Who? Elvis. Elvis, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's dead by now. I'm gonna say he's dead by now. I don't know. And like I said, that last one, of course, the Queen of Soul herself, Aretha Franklin. Wow. Dear. Yeah. Yes. So we are going to pull up an Aretha Franklin tune from 1968, where you're gonna hear some backing vocals from Sissy. This is on "Ain't No Way." by Aretha Franklin. Me to love. 
can, can we just have a moment to acknowledge the late Aretha Franklin? Absolutely. Oh, she will be covered on this podcast. It's just a matter of who actually gets her. Yeah. So we're going to have a uh, televised boxing match between <laughs> both me, Will the Thrill, and uh, the Deuce. Winner take all. And gets to cover Aretha Franklin? Yep. Fair. I don't think we fight in the same weight class. Yeah, I get a feeling that'll be very scattered. Yeah, I, also, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know where y'all both weigh in. I don't. I don't think we're in the same weight class. <laughs> Actually, uh, I don't fight fair, so who cares about? So it's weight? not going to matter. Yeah, <laughs> I have several explosives in my teeth. Hey, Will, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short break for our ads, and we'll be right back. That cold case you're listening to, nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. And we're back. Great. Let's get back to Whitney Houston. Ah, so if you heard on that recording, those high notes that came in, that was Sissy Houston. Wow. Yeah, that She's was her. incredible. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. As mentioned earlier, she also sang for Burt Baccarat, which was a connection formed by her cousin Dion. Despite the, I'm sure many of you knew about this in the, was it 70s or 80s? She and Baccarat were suing each other and it got really nasty. Really? Oh, no, yeah. I did not know that. Tens of millions of dollar, catalog dollars on the line. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was, but, but fortunately, I think they've, they've mended that fence over the years. So, I think it's safe to say if you look at all these pieces, the only thing that would have shocked us more than Whitney becoming a star would be if she became like an accountant or something, because she was born into the music industry almost literally. Sissy was pregnant with Whitney while recording vocal tracks for Atlantic Records up until the final weeks of her pregnancy uh whitney gave an account saying that the producers were getting jittery and her mother would just say to them quit it quit worrying about it and just get on with it that's because that's because people were so much tougher back then she probably took about a 10 minute break actually okay. funny enough i believe that the the background singer who did those like wailing vocals for the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter. Yeah, she was, she was very I, pregnant. Yeah, she was very pregnant. Like, they picked her up at her house, and she was still wearing, like, her house coat and her at hair. Like three in the clothes. morning, right? Yeah. yeah. And then she went out, and she was like, what you want? And they're like, this. And she's like, can you, okay. Can you, can you scream about rape and murder? And she's like, yes, I can. In, yeah. in your delicate condition. Here's the check. <laughs> yep, I sure can. But and she, we're done. But she, if you guys haven't seen the uh, documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom, it is so good. It's, it's a reason why it was up for an Oscar. So check that out. You can actually hear that story and you can hear her isolated vocals. But it's amazing. It's incredible. So while Sissy was in the hospital awaiting Whitney's arrival, she was watching a show on television and saw one of the actress's names was Whitney. So she decided that if she had a daughter, she was going to name her Whitney. And that's how the name came to be. The Houstons lived in Newark, as I mentioned earlier, until that summer of 1967. Now, there was an inciting incident in July, and this was on the heels of the Watts riots in Los Angeles, where a black Newark cab driver was arrested, beaten by two white police officers and taken into custody. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So Sadly. when this happened, there was a rumor circulating that the suspect was killed while in custody. 
So a mob marched on the police station. And this is in July of 1967. Okay, but but he but he wasn't actually killed. He was not actually killed. No, somehow this. Okay, rumor... was, okay so this is a rumor that he was killed. Interesting. Correct. Okay. And there was a march on the police station. It's unclear as to sort of who did what first. Did the police do something? Did the crowd? But it erupted into just mass mayhem. The riots continued for five days and 26 people were killed in Newark. So the Houston family said, we're out of here and moved over to East Orange, which is about 15 minutes away and a, a nicer neck of the woods, a better place to raise a family. Whitney, as I mentioned, took on the nickname Nippy at a very young age. She was actually a quiet and introspective child. According to her aunt, they would often find her staring out the window at a young age and they would say, what are you doing, Whitney? And she would just say, oh, just thinking, auntie, just thinking. And apparently spend a lot of time just looking out the window thinking. Mm -hmm. She was the only girl, which meant she got teased by her two brothers, Gary and Michael. And she was also teased a lot at school because... Sissy always believed Whitney should dress her best. She would dress her up, put her in nice clothes, ribbons and bows in her hair. And the kids at school basically made fun of her. And in fact, Whitney would come home often in tears. She would have all the bows pulled out of her hair. She was upset. And it taught her, in her own words, to be self-reliant and to stick up for herself. So she said she learned very early that she was going to have to fight her own battles. Now, as I mentioned earlier... Faith was a big deal in the Houston household, and so was music. Whitney said that music was around the house all the time. There was gospel, because that was what her mother sang, but they listened to everything. There was a smattering of rock and R&B and just everything they could get their hands on, which really gave Whitney the chance to sort of explore. Sissy also encouraged this by bringing a young Whitney to the recording studios when she was only six or seven years old. Yeah. At which point, you're going to love this, Whitney recounts, sitting in the booth and talking to her, quote, Auntie Ree, who is Aretha Franklin. She's just hanging out, talking to Aretha Franklin in the studio. Now, there is a popular myth that Aretha Franklin is Whitney's godmother. Not true. Aretha is her aunt, like an honorary aunt. Her actual godmother, and I think, LD, this is someone you're a fan of, is Darlene Love. Yes. Yep. Very much so. That is Whitney's godmother. It's funny enough, I think that the idea of Dion is her godmother comes from the movie Being My Best Friend's Wedding because they actually do a, a, say a little prayer in like a restaurant. It's mm -hmm. like a sing-along. And I think that this, the, the two sisters mentioned that, oh, oh, you know, Dion's her godmother. So I actually think that's where it comes from. Right. So to set the record straight, Dion is actually Whitney's cousin. Her honorary aunt is Aretha Franklin, and her godmother is Darlene Love, who I forgot about this. Maybe TJ, you'll remember. She played Murtaugh's wife in the Lethal Weapon series. I did not remember that. Darlene I remember Love. that oh. she used to be, she used to make an appearance on The Late Show with David Letterman yeah. right around every Christmas. Yes, she did. Yeah. For, for a while. Yeah, I, I do. I remember her more that way. I, I would have to go back. See, I, I didn't realize that. She was yeah. okay. And uh, she was uh, in those movies. Yeah. So the Houstons continue to attend the New Hope Baptist Church. And as I said to this day, Sissy is still a big part of that. Her cousin Dion always described Whitney as a good girl. She always had her Bible with her. And she really didn't go anywhere else aside from home and church. So Whitney began singing at a very early age. In fact, she delivered her first known solo in church at the age of 12 accompanied by a piano Whitney sang the hymn guide me O thou great Jehovah and at that point Whitney said two things one she knew she wanted to be a singer and two that that song would stay with her for the rest of her life 
Aww. And that was the... Her father has a very different account of Whitney's early singing. He said he would come home and hear all this hollering and screaming down in the basement. Whitney would be down there with one of Sissy's microphones singing along to the records. So she was just hanging out in the house, just singing out the tunes that her mother had on vinyl, which I think is a really cool image. According to Whitney, she said her voice was, quote, God gave me this gift. So she believed that one, it was a gift and more, and as a person of faith, it was her responsibility to use it. So her family was very supportive, but Sissy wasn't one to glamorize the music business. She gave her daughter a very accurate portrayal of what it was. In fact, one of her quotes saying, you can become quite discouraged. I took a lot when I first started, but I will not let anything crush me. I've seen too many people get crushed. I've had something more than just this business. I've had my husband, my three children, and they saved me through all of the disappointments. God has guided me through all these years, greatly so, end quote. And she said that there was a lot of loneliness that came with being a performer. So she encouraged her daughter to be a singer, but at the same time, didn't want to make it, romanticize it, you know, make it a very, she wanted to make it very practical for her. And that's why she would bring her into the studio and show her around and she'd hang out with a lot of people, including Aretha Franklin. We'll get to that in a moment. So Whitney wasn't spending her early teenage years running around, chasing boys. In fact, the only time she went out was to go to church. And on Fridays, she liked to go to a local hot dog stand in East Orange and just get a hot dog and hang out. That was like what she did for her social life. There would, however, be a defining moment in Whitney's life. When she was only 14, her father officially moved out of the house. He was separating from her mother. On the surface, it was amicable, but there was some deep-seated anxiety that Whitney carried that would actually go through her whole life. And a lot of people say this actually became sort of a pattern because this cataclysmic event at age 14 gave her some sort of cracks in her her emotional foundation and her support system because the way she described John was that she was he was quote the backbone of the family and she looked up to him so much so by him leaving it was a major male figure letting her down hang on to that one because we know what's coming in the years ahead and of course we can't talk about Whitney until we get to there of course the substance abuse problems. Uh, But what they always tell you in treatment is that the abuse is the result of something, a pain, a trauma, and that's what is believed to have happened to Whitney when her father left at such an early age, uh, is that she sort of had this trigger that would happen whenever men would let her down. Mm. And going through her life and what we know about it already, we can see that is, in my opinion, a viable pattern here. And we'll explore that as time goes on. Sissy thought it best to fill this void and keep Whitney quite frankly busy you know so she wouldn't be sitting at home stewing so she brought her to the recording sessions and eventually to appearances when she sang at nightclubs okay so teenage whitney is going to these nightclubs in new york eventually taking the stage uh whitney was enrolled in the mount saint dominic all girls school in caldwell which was her mother's decision and there she met robin crawford now i don't know what you all know of robin crawford but she's someone who's going to be with whitney until the end and and beyond so she's kind of like the coco very much so yes she's she's the coco of whitney houston and a source of tremendous controversy one of the unanswered questions to this day is was whitney houston gay now no one knows the answer to this except whitney who has departed there are interviews later in which houston would deny these rumors adamantly in a classic i'm quoting this one directly quote, I'm not a lesbo, end quote. Those are Houston's words. Uh, You can take the girl out of Jersey. You can't take the Jersey out of the girl, I guess. 
Some accounts from Robin, however, do paint a very different picture. In fact, Robin will release a memoir several years after Whitney's death, which became sort of a tell-all book, in which Robin said definitively their relationship was intimate. But, I mean, that her her aunt, Dee Dee? Yes. Was also gay. Yeah. So, I mean, she kind of set a precedent. So, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't spit on that at all. Like it's, I mean, some people find it a problem. We here at Rock and Roll Heaven don't have an issue with anyone's sexual orientation or their pronouns. So yeah. So needless to say, Robin was a little bit older than Whitney. They actually met at a camp for kids and they were both counselors. And as Robin would later yeah. declare in her book. And what, I'm sorry, what, what year are we in right now? Oh, Whitney's only a teenager at this point. She is an all girls high school. So we're talking 13, the last, 14. The last yeah. the last age we checked in was at 14. Yeah, she's about okay, 14. That's, okay, so that's interesting that her, her relationship with this woman, whatever their relationship actually was, and there's obviously various versions of, of, of that. Yes. So this goes that I didn't realize how far back that went. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So she's like 14, 15 years old when she met when she met this girl. Correct. Lady. Yeah. Okay. And the book that was released actually came out in 2019. It was titled A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston, where Robin does account their relationship as being, quite frankly, intimate. In one account, both Robin and Whitney were working at an ice cream shop. They were on break and their, quote, lips touched, according to Robin. Whitney acknowledged that this happened, but said it was really no big deal. But to Robin, she felt it was much more than that, much more intimate. So... And as you pointed out earlier, TJ, that this relationship, you know, would go on for all of Whitney's life. So she's only 14 now. And Robin right. her through her entire life. At 14, Whitney would actually make her professional singing debut. Town Hall, located between 6th and Broadway, right in the heart of Manhattan, Whitney sang a rendition of Tomorrow from the musical Annie. It was interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, her mother actually performed this on Sissy performed it on her self-titled album several years prior. However, on this occasion, Whitney actually took the lead vocals. So it was her first documented performance at a nightclub. She's, she's 14, mind you, at this point. Yeah, they're in, really playing fast and loose oh, yeah. before they get into those <laughs> in bars. Ni- in 1978, Sissy returned to the studio to record another album with the same producer. His name was Michael Zager. They actually needed a backing vocalist, and Sissy pitched her daughter, Whitney. So, at the ripe old age of 15, Whitney would make an appearance on her mother's album, Think It Over. We're going to share with you one of the tracks from that album. Uh, Whitney sang on all the tracks except two. So, we're going to highlight one specifically with a young Whitney Houston accompanying her mother. This one comes from 1978's Think It Over, and the song is Sometimes. Oh 
you could hear Sissy Houston obviously taking the lead, but in the background was her daughter Whitney at age 15. Wow. Pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's quite a voice to have at, at that age. Oh yeah, absolutely. And to know how to use it. I mean Yeah. Not not in, in the still learning process, like like wow, you're fifteen and you can actually really sing already. Yeah, you are doing professional work at age fifteen. Right. Now, interesting thing about Whitney is before she was known as a vocalist, she would actually break out as a teen model. In 1980, Whitney was in New York, as she would often be accompanying her mother. The story is that a scout named Dean Avedon, who worked for Click Models, just ran into Whitney in a building. And he immediately said, you have to come meet my boss. You would make a great model, which today would be the creepiest thing ever. Yeah. I, well, yeah, but I but but I can believe it because oh, yeah. look at her. Yeah, she looks. Stunning. I mean, if you if you just if you just run into her when she was in her late teens, I, I'm sure that would be you would be that that's probably the first thing that would pop in your mind if you were a scout of some kind. So what happens? Whitney goes up and meets Avidan's boss, a lady named Frances Grill, who was working for Click Models, and they started booking her right away. Whitney booked spots for Revlon Cosmetics, Sprite. She appeared in Young Miss, Glamour, Cosmopolitan. But here we go with a fun fact. Fun fact. In November 1981, Whitney Houston would become the first woman of color to appear on the cover of Seventeen magazine. That's wow. Yep. She was the first one. This is a solid four years, four or five years before she has a hit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she's on the cover of Seventeen magazine. That's that's crazy. Wow. Which I think is a great point to get the perspective of, of two different views here. Because you kind of said it, TJ, earlier is, you know, Whitney Houston at that age was absolutely just stunningly gorgeous. There's she no was, Absolutely, she was, sure. Um, and I, I was going to, because LD and I were talking about this the other day, because I know you recognize some of those magazines, right? Yes. What was your perception of Whitney at this time? Was there one or? There wasn't one because uh-huh. I was two. Okay. So. But let's, let's flash forward a little bit to when she was. Um, I, okay, so one of my first experiences with Whitney was I Want to Dance with Somebody, mm. that music video. That was probably yep. the first time that I ever saw Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm two, so I don't have much of a, anything <laughs> to say, but I do remember when I was growing up, like Seventeen Magazine was like your Bible. That one in the Delia catalog, mm-hmm. like those are just the two things that you had to have if you were. Man, you didn't read nothing but Tiger Beat. Uh, that was when I was 11. Uh, flash forward, T. Jeez. And I also read Bop, okay? I think we can all agree that Whitney Houston was just this pristine level of, of beauty. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. like, Part of my job as casting is to find people that are good looking. And I will say that guy did his job well because mm-hmm. she had this beautiful, it looked like she, she was a China doll. Like she had, you know, no pores whatsoever. Perfect skin. Yes, the skin was perfect. That, that's that's that, that's actually an overlooked asset of hers. Hundred percent. She looks like she's airbrushed at all points. Mm-hmm. Like she's flawless. Her hair is beautiful. Like her bone structure is incredible. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so, no, I mean, yeah. Let's let's not bait around the bush. Whitney was hot. Yeah, she was. Yeah. When it was hot, let's, let's cut to the chase here. Yep. And, and the fact that she's in Sprite commercials and Revlon commercials mm-hmm. and on magazine covers at that age tells you tells you that tells you that that is the case. And, and her major album hasn't even come out yet. We're not even there yet. <laughs> right. She she's done a little background work in the studio, and that's all. Mm-hmm. It's about to get. It's about to become it, a big deal. It, it yeah. would. She would be at this point a person who who people would make go. Oh, do you sing too? 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Right. Which now that would seem ridiculous, but that, but I mean, in retrospect, looking back, but at the time, like if, if people found out she could sing, oh wow, you you sing as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but that's that's can, how people would have perceived yeah, that. Yeah, 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 but she can sing. Sing, sing. Uh, and she would do that yet again. So Sissy's back in the studio working with another vocalist, and they think they may need another singer to come in and do some backup. So Sissy says, why don't we bring my daughter in? The vocalist agrees. That vocalist was Shaka Khan. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, wow. And Whitney would appear on Shaka's 1980 album, Naughty, which is interesting because if you remember, at that time, Shaka Khan had performed I'm Every Woman, which was written by Ashford and Simpson. Whitney Houston yep. would redo that song, I believe, in the late 80s. Oh, the 80s. Yeah. by the way, Nick Ashford, South Carolina. Oh, really? Oh, hey. And eventually Whitney would go on to duet with Shaka Khan on, in 1999. Oh, on the song, I'm Every Woman. I'm Every Woman, yep. So she yeah. did that metal Circle. costume, didn't she? she yes. Like the metal costume. Yeah. Oh, hot. It was a Divas Live special. So you have her singing for Shaka Khan, and that's where we are inevitably going to go next. The track I selected is from Khan's 1980 album, Naughty. This is Our Love's in Danger, featuring Whitney Houston.
are back. Shaka Khan, ladies and gentlemen, with Whitney Houston. I mean, Shaka Khan is just a queen. Oh. Yeah, she owns it. So Whitney is now establishing herself as a model and as a singer. And oh, by the way, she's 17 years old. Oh. So her parents made it very clear that school came first. And Whitney said that she specifically held out on signing any type of contract with anybody until she was 18. Well, that's about to happen. In 1981, Whitney was actually offered work on an upcoming LP for a group called Material. Now, Material was kind of a studio supergroup, and it included some players I'm sure you all know. We'll go through some of the names right now. Nona Hendricks. No yeah, takers? No. She performed with Patti LaBelle and Sarah Dash to do a little song called Lady Marmalade. Oh. Uh... Yeah. You know, that my, you know what my kryptonite is, actually is? knowing people's <laughs> names. Others include Nile Rogers, Oliver Lake. Yes, we, we talked about Nile. We did. That I know. Oliver Lake. And TJ, you might appreciate this one. Tony Thompson of Power Station. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And yes, that, that, Nile Rogers has come up, gosh, several times since we started our heavy hitter series. A yes, whole bunch of yep. them, yeah. Especially yeah. prominently in our David Bowie series. So the goal was to do this album under the band Material, and the title was One Down, and it was scheduled for release on Elektra Records. So Whitney signs a deal to do that, and she takes the lead vocals on a song called Memories. And that's considered the piece that really put her on the scene. It was a breakout performance. And at that point, the phone started ringing. Whitney actually worked with the two Pauls, as I call them, Paul Jabara and Paul Schaefer, on a 1982 album called Paul Jabara and Friends, which included appearances not only by Whitney, but by the Weather Girls. I love the Weather Girls. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Put together by Schaefer and Jabara. So Paul Schaefer. Correct. Was, who, who, yeah. wrote their biggest, who wrote their biggest hit, I believe. Sure did. So we have a link up with Paul Schaefer there, which is interesting. Uh, at this point, both the New York Star Ledger and the New York Times were already highlighting Whitney on these albums and saying she's going to be a massive star. So the contract competition started to happen at this point. She really got deals from everybody. Uh, the first was from Columbia Records, who had actually put out the Paul Jabara and Paul Schaefer album. The next one came from, logically, Electra Records, who obviously she worked with on the... Um, one down album which was you know notable and then a third offer would come across the desk of whitney's manager a gentleman named gene harvey from a label called arista records now for those of you who don't know arista arista was actually a subsidiary of sony in 1974 the founder is going to be a critical person in whitney's life yep and they had a number of acts in the 70s and 80s that included Lou Reed, The Grateful Dead, Eric Carmen, Air Supply, The Kinks. They also had Dionne Warwick, Aretha Franklin, and Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> there we go, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. I was starting to worry, but we managed to work it in. It's the federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference the of podcast. the podcast. It has been satisfied. All right. <laughs> but uh, all kidding aside arista would become well known for signing whitney and she is to this day i think it's the biggest artist ever in the history of arista records and it was more than just the label when we go into our next episode because we're going to close out this week and leave you with a little cliffhanger there was one man behind everything 
that had approached Whitney with more than just a record deal. He was going to be someone who wanted to guide her career. He saw the potential in her and ultimately would, within a matter of years, make her an international superstar. And that's where we're going to leave off for today. Wow. All right. Yeah. I actually think Will clocks in at the shortest episode we've ever done. Is it? <laughs> gotta be close, yeah. It gotta be really close. Um, okay, so that ends part one of our series on Whitney Houston. Here are our socials. We'll all say goodbye, and then Mr. Thrill will take us out. Uh, if you think we're doing a great job and you would like to throw some coin our way, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Our Twitter is at rock and roll LT, Instagram rock and roll heaven LT. Uh, check that out for like uh, daily and weekly updates. That's uh, usually our, our preferred platform. But you can also find us on Facebook at rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. You can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And just to clear up any in any uh, in case anybody is unclear about it, it, it is rock and roll, yes. not rock and roll. Yeah, it, yeah. A and D, not N. Uh, and also, we would like to say that on our Facebook page, I cannot find the name right now, so I do apologize. But one of our listeners did chime in and let us know that Jehovah's Witnesses actually can drink alcohol That's right so i want to thank them for bringing that up because which came up in one of our rick james uh, episodes i think at part two i believe he's pouring cognac down somebody's throat right yeah uh, prince, the, the, the throat of prince yes, yeah. it was, yes it was not just a person it was <laughs> it was prince yeah it was, it was in fact prince rogers nelson right yeah so we we appreciate that information because we're always interested and, in learning so thank and, you and because and we we appreciate it because we're dumb and didn't know and thank you <laughs> If only we had some sort of search engine with all the human knowledge. Yeah, if only the collective knowledge of mankind was available at our fingertips and we could have looked that up. Yeah, Gosh. but too bad. Huh. We, we Maybe can't. somebody will come up with that. It's a good yeah. idea. Somebody get to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, please also make sure that you check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And I would like to say that I believe that we're doing a switchover of platforms over the next couple of weeks. So if you see that we're missing episodes or that, you know, they might be shorter than normal, uh, our, our network's actually doing all the switchover for us so that we, we don't have that burden to bear. But it might be like a gradual switchover. So I just ask you guys be really patient with us uh, during that transition you know we will get back on track and have all our episodes available so except for the ones that some money grubbers uh ding us on copyright wise nope nope even that like it's just on spotify i think it's all the all our episodes are also available on stitcher soundcloud and the apple podcast app it's just cool then then suck it um yeah it's just spotify i think that removed those episodes so it's very odd. It's, yeah. it's, it's odd, but hopefully, you know, there are brighter days ahead. Well, thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Check us out next week where we're going to be carrying on the legacy of Whitney Houston. And uh, this is LD out, TJ. Bye, everybody. Okay, and I will take us out with, of course, a song. Uh, I would be remiss if we did not revisit the track that made Whitney Houston a star, quote unquote. This was, of, co- of course, the one down album by Material 
The song she was highlighted on was called Memories, and we're going to close out with that one. Next week, we have so much more in the life of Whitney coming up. In fact, her first album hasn't even come out yet. We're not even there yet. So there's so much more to come. I just want to thank everybody for listening, and know there's a lot of great stuff coming. We're going to end with Memories from 1982. Here is Whitney Houston.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 